Thanks for having me. And I always like to thank people for having me at the beginning of my talk, because I don't know if um, you'll be as welcoming at the end. Um, uh, but honestly, I do, I do thank you, and I do thank um, the leadership in your church for being brave enough to speak about uh, a topic that has done so much damage to our world, uh, to our society, and to our churches. I just got back from the Set Free Summit, which was in North Carolina, and there was 800-plus um, pastors, ministry leaders, and anti-porn workers um, all meeting to discuss and learn and network, and it was incredibly encouraging to see all these people focused on fighting something so dark, um, and at the same time, um, realizing, however, just how, how bad the problem was and what we're facing, but then hopeful at, um, at God's grace. And I'll be honest, I wept in almost every session uh, over four days, just at the goodness of God and, and his grace and what he has done in so many lives. So let me pray just before we start. Lord, we are so grateful for who you are. Lord, we sang so many times this morning of your grace, of your mercy, and we have so many testimonies in this room of your grace and your mercy and your love. And we thank you that that extends to every part of our lives. There is nothing that is too far from your grasp. There's no wound too deep that your love can't reach it. Lord, as we study your word and as we think on these heavy things, Lord, would you just be with us and speak to our hearts. So no matter what comes out of my mouth, Lord, would your spirit speak to our hearts and, and just remind us of your truth that never changes. Amen. So just to reintroduce myself, um, I work with an organization called Strength to Fight, and just briefly how we started was that a couple years ago, uh, not sure if any of you remember, but you probably do, the entire Ottawa U hockey team was suspended for an alleged group sex assault. Um, and, and suddenly there was this huge topic all over the news, all over the media in Ottawa about campus rape culture. What was this? Is it real? Is it a myth? What's going on? And so my brother, um, if any of you think that you met me already, you probably met my brother. That's Daniel. Um, he, he does uh, ministry here in the city, uh, particularly at church on Wednesday at Ottawa U. And he and a couple of other of our friends decided to put on a presentation at Ottawa U called How Porn Fuels Rape Culture and uh, to just uh, seize on the fact that people are actually talking about this and they did a three-part presentation explaining how it fuels what we know as rape culture, how it fuels human trafficking, and then a third presentation on how to get free, and essentially the gospel, and, and my friend's testimony of finding freedom. And the capacity for the, for the area where they were was 80. 150 people showed up. Uh, before the presentation, there were people writing... Um, on the event Facebook wall and saying how they were going to come and shred us in the Q&A and just mock us. And after the presentation, those same people were writing to us and saying, I have a problem. How do I fight this? How do I get free? We put that talk up on YouTube, just a couple of the clips, and we got 65 invitations across the country uh, to come and speak. And so we tried to do it as a side project and discovered quickly that that didn't work. And so... Uh, but a year and a half ago, we were sitting down, and I was ambushed by the other guys. They told me it was a meeting about something else. They lied. Um, and after a while, they told me that they really thought that we needed to go full-time and that I was the one who should quit my job and do it. And so I really, really didn't want to. I was really, really glad that pornography was something that was in my past and not in my present, and I wanted to help other people fight it, but I did not want to. But as I prayed about it, and me and my wife prayed about it. We thought, really, this is something that we should be doing. And quite frankly, at the time, uh, my older, uh, my, my daughter, Eliana, was six months old. And I just knew that I did not want her to grow up in the same statistical reality that I did. I first came across pornography at the age of eight. I was with my family. We're on a family walk in our neighborhood. And I'm eight years old, and everything's a race when you're eight. So I was winning this family walk. I'm way out ahead. And all of a sudden, my parents caught up to me because I was standing stock still, not winning this walk, standing there just staring at the ground. And I'm pointing at the ground saying, I don't think that's good. And what it was is someone had strewn a pornographic magazine across the street. My mom swooped down, grabbed the magazine, 
threw it in a nearby trash can, and were able to navigate our neighborhood for the rest of the day without stumbling across any more pornography. What my parents couldn't have known was that in just a few years, instead of trying to navigate my neighborhood, I was trying to navigate my, or, or the internet with its millions upon millions of pornographic content. Um, just one website, I recently heard, just one website, and this isn't even um, the, the top, one of the top websites in the world, but just one website, as they tracked it, has enough visits for 11 visits per year for every single person in the world. And that's just one website. We know that there are websites upon websites, there are new ones every single day, and that was the world that suddenly I was trying to navigate. With no context for what I was encountering, I quickly became uh, completely addicted to online pornography. And for 10 years, it owned me. I grew up in a wonderful, wonderful Christian family. My dad's a Bible teacher. My mom loves me. Her mom loved her. I'm third generation loved. That's pretty rare in our society. I should have been completely set up for success, but it didn't prepare me for what I was encountering. And I didn't stand a chance. And, and while I had a serious encounter with the Lord around age eight, and I definitely knew him, I believed in him. I didn't want to obey him, though. And so even though I'm growing in this family, I'm growing up in this family, all this, these good influences know a ton about the Bible, I just didn't want to live life God's way. And, and over the years, I never necessarily got into any crazy big trouble, but I, I didn't want to live life God's way. And one of the things that always held me back was the fact that I knew that pornography owned a part of my brain. In my early 20s, God really got a hold of me. My attempts to just have a great life, um, it, it wasn't even just, it wasn't partying or anything like that. I just wanted to live life my way, achieving what I wanted to. And I was getting great opportunities in music and media, all these neat jobs, but nothing's really working. And the Lord just began to really grab a hold of my life and lead me in his way. And I began to realize that, oh, maybe if God is real and created all of this, then there's a small chance. He knows better than me about how to live. Maybe I should try it his way, see how it goes. And it went. It went really well. My life is completely different. I am not the anxious, worried, angry person that I was. And yet, I could not, on my own, kick the habit and addiction to pornography. I could stay away from it for a while, but I knew that there was a part of me that still was serving pornography with my brain, that it, it owned me. Eventually, I would go back to it. And it wasn't until I came to a crisis point where I didn't just see the goodness of God, or the horror of pornography. But I finally saw the horror of pornography in light of the goodness of God. And that is what enabled me to finally really fight for my freedom. And so what I hope to do today as we study the Bible is help us all to get a picture of those two things. I'm not, I don't just want to scare you with statistics and stories. I don't want you to go home and cry tonight at just the awful state of the world. I want you to see the goodness of God. And while I want us to understand what is going on with the issue of pornography and what it's doing to us, what it's doing to our children, I want you to see all of that in light of the goodness of God. And that's where I hope to take us today. So one of the reasons why I felt that I had to do something about pornography was because stumbling across pornography at age eight doesn't make me anything less than statistically normal. Talk to any expert today, and that is the age that they now say is the most common to encounter this. It used to be 12, now it's definitely by 11, and it's really that eight to 11. That is when children are being exposed to things that are unimaginable. See, for those of us here who were first encountering pornography maybe 20, 30 years ago, we have to understand when we talk about being exposed to pornography at age 8 today, 
Um, what we were exposed to called pornography, that's now advertising in the Rideau Center. That's how far it's gone. So if that's advertising, what is actually being shown to our children? What are eight-year-olds encountering? And quite frankly, statistics now show that about 40% of two- and three-year-olds have unfiltered online access to the Internet because they play on their uh, parents' iPhones and iPads. Recently, um, the Barna study group just put out this. They just released this. It's called The Porn Phenomenon. Um, it was just released at the conference we were at, and it, it underlines what is going on in our society. It is the largest study yet done on the church and pornography, and it just shows how bad it is. We need to understand, when we talk about pornography, again, what, one of the things that the study showed was that the majority of pastors believe that pornography is a problem in the church and is a major problem in the church. When asked about their own church, only 5% of pastors thought that it was a problem in their own church, which just goes to show that we sometimes understand there's, there's a problem out there, but it's really hard for us to understand there's a problem here in this room. And frankly, I do with this every single time I get up to speak. What happens is I sit there, and I'm all ready to speak, and then they call me up, and as I get up here, I just go, what am I doing here? Nobody here has ever encountered pornography. What a giant waste of time. I'm super embarrassed. Because it still is this thing we don't really believe is as bad as it is. But just to throw a couple of statistics at you, and statistics are statistics because they've been studied and are proven to be true, over two-thirds of children under the age of 12, will encounter pornography simply while doing homework. By the time they are in their later teens, only 10 out of the next 100 boys you see under the age of 18 have not seen pornography. And about 70% of girls have seen. That's 7 out of 10. If you have 10 nieces or nephews, just think about that. So sometimes we go, oh, 70%. I thought it was worse. Which of your three nieces are the ones that you love more than the other ones? Because it's, hey, at least they don't. Right? When we think about these as people, it really is devastating. Almost two out of every 10 boys under the age of 12 have already encountered depictions of Awful things involving children younger than themselves. Sometimes when I say that, I go two out of ten, and people are like, hey, that's 20%. It's a failing grade. It's not so bad. Porn failed. But when we consider the amount of people that that actually is, this should break our hearts. And what we also know about what's going on is that in something like pornography, the way it works with the brain and the chemicals is like any addiction, we must have more and more stimulus in order for it to have the same effect on us. It has to get worse, has to get more violent, it has to get more degrading, it has to get more shameful. We have to become more afraid of being caught. It has to get worse and worse. And according to um, interviews with some of the top porn producers, they have actually said they are out of ideas for how to make it worse. That's how bad it's getting. And we look at the, these are the trends. So two-thirds of children under the age of 12, 90% of boys, 70% of girls once they're 18. And then when the University of McGill wanted to do a study on pornography, they needed a control group. So they needed to study the effect on people who had already been exposed. They wanted to study the effect on people who hadn't been exposed. They had to cancel the study so they couldn't find a control group. So... Again, this isn't to terrify us, but we need to understand the reality that we are in. So I pray that your children are the ones in the small percentage that haven't been exposed, haven't seen it. But I understand this is the reality that my children are growing up in currently. And so even if I do everything I can to protect them, not just from seeking it out, but having it come to them uninvited that that means that my child will be the one in the class who hasn't seen it and all of their friends have and are being affected. This is so that we just understand what is going on and, and how, uh, how much of a crisis it is currently and it, what it is in our, in our schools, in our families, in our churches. So that's the backdrop 
of the pervasiveness of the problem and how big it is. And so sometimes when we do these presentations, they're a lot more academic, and I would get up here and I'd quote a lot more science, um, and, and I would quote a lot more horrific stories uh, just to underline the problem. Um, but, but that's not what we're here for today, because I think that there are bigger questions that will actually help us in this. Uh, the talk is called, Who Am I, What Are You, and What Are We Supposed to Do About It? And I think in answering those questions, we actually find the answer to this. And just as one last, this is actually a bit of a almost fun but terrifying exercise, to, for any of us who are having trouble understanding the correlation between what we watch and how we act, let's say, well, so they see it, it won't affect the behavior. First of all, the entire advertising industry is predicated on the fact that what you watch affects your behavior. If that is not true, then all these corporations are wasting trillions and trillions of dollars. Secondly... None of you have ever seen this hand motion before, I would guess. I stole this from someone from the last week. However, all of you now know how to do that. The way that our brains learn things, particularly children's brains, is that if I asked all of you to do it right now, you could. Because your brain has immediately learned what it sees. It has a mirroring technique. It learns the actions that it sees. And you could now physically, perfectly replicate what you just saw. So as we talk about these things, as we talk about issues like pornography, we need to understand what is going on. This is not just, oh, it's not good, it's not bad, or it is bad, it's, we, we shouldn't see a lot of it. We need to understand what is happening. When we talk about the violent, degrading nature of these things, we're talking about things that the instant we see them, our body has now taught itself how to do. It doesn't mean that if you've seen this, you are a monster. If you've been watching violence against women, it doesn't mean that you are suddenly going to go out there and commit violence against women. It just means we need to understand we're not giving ourselves the best odds of not doing those things. We're asking our children to overcome something in order to actually live properly. That's why we have to take this stuff seriously. So as we talk, pornography is not a sin that is worse than any other sin. Jesus died for all sins, and my sins are equally as bad as anything you have ever done. And I'm sorry to say, but anything you've done is as bad as anything I've done. The difference here is that this is a specific sin that is destroying people. It's destroying marriages, children, and families, and that's why we need to emphasize the need to address it. And the second thing before I dive into the passage is that this is an issue that affects men and women, boys and girls. For many, many years, we talk about this as a men's issue. We'll say things like men struggle with lust and it's, women, it's all body image. That's not true. And, and unfortunately, what's happened, particularly in the church, is that as we talk about these things, the women and girls who are struggling with them are sitting there thinking they're struggling with a man's sin. And so there is double the shame, double the fear, and far less likely that they will ever talk to someone, confess, and, and get the healing that they need. So if you're a woman here today, and this is affecting you or has affected you, you need to understand that, yes, it's a sin. Yes, it is wrong. Yes, you need healing and freedom. But you are not the most twisted individual who has ever lived, which is the message that most of you have received as women in our society, and unfortunately, most of all, in church. This is simply a sin End of story. It's not a special category of sin that you're struggling with. So to answer the question of who am I, Psalm 139, or verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So who am I? My name is Josh Gilman, and I was created 
by the Creator. And I'm a human. So what are the implications of this? The first implication of the fact that I'm a human and you are a human is that we are different from the animals. And everybody knows this, that there is an intrinsic difference in being human, in our value and our worth. We know this because every single person in the world, no matter how much they love animals or an animal rights activist, is the, we are the only species that everybody believes deserves protection from our own species. I don't know if you've ever seen the stuff that goes on out in the wild, but it's brutal. But no one is out there protesting lion-on-lion violence. No one's out there saying, save the wolves from the other wolves. And we're the only species that we believe deserve protection from other species. Talking to a cousin who's a therapist, she said that some of her clients are people who come back from safari. Because what you see out there is actually so brutal, it can scar you for life. Watching what lions do to gazelles. Or if you've ever seen what wolves will do to a deer. No one is out there protesting lion-on-gazelle violence. We are not trying to pass laws to protect deer from wolves. But we all believe that humans should be protected. In Ontario, you are not allowed to own a pit bull. And while we could argue about the role of government and whether or not the, uh, the correct solution was more restrictions and rules for having pit bulls or banning them altogether as we did, no one is arguing with the premise of the question, how do we protect children from pit bulls? We all agree, no matter where we are politically, that that is a good question to ask. Even the most crazy animal rights activist in the world believes that children should be protected from pit bulls. So we intrinsically know that it makes us different. So what's the difference? I'll just read quickly here from Psalm, not Psalm, Genesis. Right in the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 26. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So we are different because God made us different. And he did that on purpose. And we could, we could preach many, many sermons on what it means to be made in the image of God, but the summary for right now seems that God made us after himself in his likeness. He put something in humanity that is just different, that is a whole other level of being in our capacity for relationship and worship and um, and stewardship, there is something of God in us, and that is what makes us different. And so, we see that humanity, it is intrinsic to understand that humanity is different, and that we, we are different from the animals, that as a species, we are valuable. But the question that I think we all struggle with, and I know this was a big struggle for myself, was are we each valuable? We know we are as a species special, but am I personally valuable? 
So just going back to Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We read this, and we understand that I was made on purpose for a purpose. I was not made by accident. And I was not made randomly. But that God is the one who put me together and he did it when he wanted to. He did not have the calendar flipped wrong, right? Like he grabbed two months and did it and flipped them at the same time like I have done. He didn't think, oh my goodness, I meant to make you at another. No, he made me when he wanted to, and he made me how he wanted to. And if we understood this truth, it would be devastating to pornography. To understand the value that you have as a creation of God made on purpose for a purpose. And who is saying this? Who is stating that, that you were made the way he wanted to make you? The creator the one who knows about creating things. He is the expert. See, what you and I do is we stand in front of the mirror. I stand there and I go, you know, God, I, you probably forgot because you were going to make me 6'2". <laughs> Oops. Or we think, you, you, you probably meant to make my hair curly or you probably meant to hair my, make my straight, my skin lighter, darker, whatever it is. We criticize what God has created. We think he made a mistake. And quite frankly, that's blasphemy. To stand there, look at yourself, and accuse God of making a mistake. He made you how he wanted to. He made you when he wanted to. And again, if you think he makes mistakes, I'd love for us to both go back to the beginning of creation. We're standing there and God is creating the Rockies and the oceans and the blue whale, which is so large that the man could swim through its veins. And wolves and eagles and horses and dolphins. And he's putting the northern lights. The Grand Canyon, which I've never seen, but all my friends say it takes your breath away. He's making all of this, and we're standing there. And then he finally finishes, and he says, you had a comment? I don't know about you. I'd be like, no, I'm good. I trust you now. You probably did what you meant to do. Do you realize that? Do you realize who made you? He is the expert at making things. And he made you how he wanted to. We trust experts. Right, if the worship team this morning was great, loved worship, but if Stephen Curtis Chapman walked in here, or anybody else that we really see as someone, oh, they, they know music and, and songwriting and, and Christian music, and he told them to play the most ridiculous key at triple time, they probably wouldn't even bat an eyelash. They'd be like, well, he knows. He has like 400 Dove Awards. He is the expert. They would do it that way. I know I would. I know a girl who's a, who's a fashion designer, and she could tell a girl to wear a basket on her head and just be like, oh, you look gorgeous. You are owning that. You look beautiful. <laughs> and they would walk out of the house like, oh, I am beautiful, because the girl who knows about beauty said so. That is how we treat experts. And the expert on creating things created you, and he says, I formed you, and I made you when I wanted, how I wanted. We need to understand that. I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect. But each and every one of you was made perfectly according to plan. And if we understand that, 
than all the stuff that drives us to these things like pornography, that affects the way we see people, loses its power when we understand the truth. I know what it's like to look yourself in the mirror, look yourself right in the eye, and say, I hate you. That's how I saw myself for so many years. Defining myself by what I was doing and what I hated. And I hated myself. And I saw myself as worthless. And you see, if I was worthless, then you are worthless. And if you're worthless, then who cares what I do with you? How I treat you? But as God changed my understanding of who I am and what it meant to be created by him on purpose, for a purpose, perfectly according to his plan, I began to see myself for who I really am and understand that, hold on, if I'm valuable, then you are valuable. And then it really matters how I treat you and what I do with you. And see, that is the sin of pornography. It is misusing the gifts that God gave you to use and abuse the creation that he made. Essentially, it is sacrificing another human on an altar to yourself. Seeing them as something that can be consumed by you because all they are is whatever you see them as instead of how God sees them. And we need to also understand, again, just what we are consuming when we consume pornography. I won't get into all the details of what it is that we are watching because it would horrify us a bit too much and I'm not quite sure who is in the audience. But this week, I spent time with a girl who was trafficked. It was, it was her boyfriend who essentially trafficked her for the use of pornography. And the thing is, nobody would know if they saw it that that's how that pornography was made through the trafficking of a teenage girl, through the abuse of a teenage girl. And people out there don't realize what they're watching. Uploaded to the internet is just regular pornography. Could actually be the assault of my friend. That is how far we've gone. That is what's going on. When we, when we watch pornography, that is what we're contributing to. The abuse and trafficking of our friends, of daughters, of sons. Here's the thing. I go around the country now and I tell people the horror that is pornography. I often tell a lot worse stories than anything I've said today. And I tell everybody this after explaining to them that for 10 years, this is what I consumed. I consumed this abuse. I contributed through every click to the economy that traffics children, women, boys and girls. And I ask people, why in the world would I do this for a full-time job? As a self-respecting human, why would I get up and tell people, this is who I am and this is what I've done? And that's because freedom and victory are actually possible. Because I actually know the healing 
and the freedom, the forgiveness that can come from the grace of Jesus Christ. So I got to this point where I finally stopped just trying to love Jesus a little more or hate pornography a little more. I got to the same point that the writer in Psalm 139 did. So if we kept reading past verse 16, starting in 17, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Huh? He has the most exclamatory praise, just praising the Lord's psalm. You are incredible. You are made. Just, just, he can barely handle how good God is. And then all of a sudden, he's like, and kill the wicked. Like, did he have a bipolar moment? What happened? He snapped. He goes, from, he goes, how precious me are your thoughts of God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I wake and I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? That is the point that I hit. I knew all that was wrong with pornography. But it was when I saw what the Lord was doing in my life. And when I finally understood what those verses meant and the incredible truth that it said about me, and I began to see his entire creation for what it really is, that I finally hit that point where I truly hated wickedness. Where after 10 years, or 8, 9 years, of just being complete. People say, oh, I struggled with pornography for this many years. And I say, well, I struggled with pornography for two years. I was totally beat up by it for eight. I didn't try to fight back. And then suddenly I hit this point, seeing the truth of God, and I, I could not take it anymore. For, for, for eight, nine years, I had confessed to any guest speaker that ever came to my church. They're the best to confess to because then they leave, you never see them again. No follow-up. Brilliant. Every youth conference or whatever, awesome. Right to the front. Confess. Feel amazing. Nobody knows. But there I was, and I finally was so desperate, I called up my pastor and confessed. I called up my dad, who I decided I would never, ever talk to him about this ever again, and I confessed. My mom, my brothers, my sisters, talked to my roommates, that day, I installed a filter on my computer. It was a bad filter. It didn't work very well. I had to cancel it and get another one. But the point is, I, I acted that day. I signed up for a program, to a Bible study to help in this process that day. Because I finally, truly wanted wickedness to depart from me. And God did it. He took me on that journey to truly understand who I was and who others were and his forgiveness and his love. You see, even here, he doesn't just say wickedness depart from me, but as he gets to the end, Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It ends with him saying, Lord, I hate wickedness so much. Began the psalm saying that you know everything about me. Search me again. But then even there, it doesn't stop. It just says, lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I will follow you because you can take me there. And it's the truth. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless but for the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless but for the presence of his glory with great joy. To present you blameless but for the presence of his glory with great joy. He is able. One of the biggest moments in my life was when I was sitting across from my now wife, Megan, 
I'm asking her if she is willing to start a serious relationship with me. And she said, yes, I'll need to send you some questions before I fully commit to this relationship. And so she sent me some great questions. But one of them said, are you addicted to pornography? Because she had seen the devastation to the relationships around her that the presence of pornography had done, and she was not willing to even go there. And I was able to tell her, no. I was, but that is not my reality now. I used to be a slave. It owned me. I am no longer a slave to pornography. Not all of you will get a Megan, because I got the only one. But you all can have that moment where you're able to say, no, I am not. That is not my reality. That is just my past. That's not my reality. That's just my testimony of the goodness of God in my life. I'm not quite sure when I'm supposed to end because I forgot to look at the clock. But I'm going to try to really quickly give you some practical steps to take not just leave with this, but give you some, some practical uh, steps. If you need to get free or help someone else get free, there are four things that you need to do. Number one, you need to stop it from getting to you. You need to block it, cut it off. Imagine if every single home, every single closet in your home was full of poison. You would board up those closets. You'd do whatever you could to stop it from getting out. Imagine if your closets were full of pornography. You wouldn't put it there, but they are full. They are bursting with pornography, so much so that if you're not careful, the doors could burst open and you would just stumble across that pornography. Every phone, every computer, every digital device in our homes is like that. It is a direct pipeline to more horrific pornography than you could ever imagine. So we cut it off. It doesn't matter if you never have struggled, aren't struggling. I am the founder of Strength to Fight. I know all about why porn is bad and all the techniques to stay away from it. I have a filter on my phone, on my computer, because it's not worth it getting to me, because I hate it so much. We need to block it. So whatever it is, a filter... Some people just remove the browser right off their phone, whatever it takes. Secondly, we need to renew our mind. For me, that was signing up for an unfortunately now defunct online program. Um, but there are others. You could check our website for some suggestions or simply starting a specific Bible study in your church with your friends. Something to renew our minds. And, and building those, those good new habits. Pornography literally rewires your brain. The good news is it can be re rewired. That's how your brain works. It can heal itself, but it has to be done on purpose. Number three, you need to get into good, godly accountability. And unfortunately, in the church, often when we talk about accountability, all we're describing is holy tattletaling. So whenever I feel really, really bad, I call you and I say, I messed up. And you say, oh, blood of Jesus, forgiven. I'm like, yes, and I go on my way. Or... We get together every week, and I go, hey, man, I fell. And you go, oh, I fell too. And we're like, oh, yes, I don't feel so bad about falling. I knew I wouldn't get free anyways. And we go on, and we come back the next week. We do it again. Instead, when we talk about instead of accountability, think of accessibility. Do you let people into your life? Do you truly walk in the light? What me and a couple of my friends do now is, is we talk to each other, we message each other all the time when we're heading into a situation that could be a problem. Hey, I've got four talks this weekend. I'm going to be hungry, tired, stressed. We're having financial trouble. Going to be stressed, stressed, and stressed. My wife's gone for the weekend. Going to be home alone. Probably stay up too late. Probably eat something that I shouldn't. Probably get indigestion and not sleep. We let each other know when we're heading into these situations. Never mind pornography. We're just vulnerable to sin. We're trying to actually live out community. Fourthly, you need to rely on the Lord. 
in Nehemiah when they were building the wall and, and all their enemies were surrounding them and they're trying to intimidate them and threaten them. Nehemiah gives this brilliant speech and he just says, remember our God who is great and awesome and fight for your homes, your wives, and your children. At the end of that chapter, it says, so neither I nor my men took up our clothes and we slept with our sword at our sides. So they were ready, they were prepared. They also understood who was making them ready, who was helping them to be prepared. It was the God who is great and awesome, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. One last thing for parents. It can be terrifying to live in a world where children will likely encounter pornography before we really want to talk about sex. How in the world is that possible? For you, I have two suggestions. One is to get this book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. We have cards on the back table. I did not write it, and I make no money off of it. Please buy it. It is excellent, and it will help you know how to talk to your children who are seven, five, six, seven, eight, about these things in a way that will prepare them for the world. It, just to give you an example of how we can have these discussions, because I just know one of the most common questions I get is parents are just terrified. People, who, maybe they're just engaged, they come up and they say, we're terrified to bring children into this world. And I understand that. I am equally terrified to be having children in this world, but I know that we can actually prepare them. Here's just one story is... A, a mom was talking to her five-year-old, and a five-year-old doesn't know anything about sex, nor sh- doesn't understand sexuality, whatever. They don't understand. They do understand that when guests come over, they're not supposed to run around the house naked, because they do, and they get told to run back into the bathroom and get in the bath. And all they understand is that only mommy and daddy are supposed to see their bum. They understand that. They don't know anything about sexuality or anything, but they understand that. So this mom, simply talking to her daughter, said, do you know that some people don't know that only mommy and daddy are supposed to see your bum. She's five, so she's like, ew. And then she giggled, because you said the word bum. And she's five. And then she said, well, some people think you're supposed to show people what only mommy and daddy should see. And that's called pornography. Later, they're in a grocery store. little girl saw a Cosmopolitan magazine, and she recognized that this lady was showing people something that only mommy and daddy should see. She pointed to it and she said, Mom, it's pornography. <laughs> the store was so embarrassed they ended up moving all those magazines because they got called out by a five-year-old. But you can understand that we are actually able to, as we get informed as parents, as we learn how to have these discussions, we can prepare our children so this five-year-old knew how to recognize what she sees and then react appropriately. And the most important thing that we can do as parents is simply to be open and available and willing to talk to our children. There is not an option to avoid this topic. As one, as one uh, therapist was saying this past week, if, if we don't talk to them, Dr. Google will. The most important thing you can do, I know two people who have ever met men in their 20s who have never seen pornography. It's a statistical and technological miracle. Well, one of my friends, he said, It's simply because every single time he heard a word on the playground, he knew that he could run home and ask his dad what it meant. His dad would explain specifically, not graphically, but specifically. And if he had ever said, that's for older people, don't worry, that's an adult thing, when you're older, he would have looked it up. He would have Googled it. Or he would have asked one of his friends at school, who might have given him even worse information, or would have looked at it up on, on his phone. But he simply answering our children's questions is the best thing we can ever, ever do. And the other thing is to be prepared for the if, and for not, not the if, but the when. Our children will see something that we wish they didn't see. See, everything was so new. My dad was not prepared for that moment, and so when he reacted in grief to me coming across pornography, I took that as anger. It took me a long time to realize what he was actually feeling because he, like every single parent for the last 30 years, was not prepared for just how bad it was, and he was grieved, and, and, and it came out, understandably. But as we are prepared for that moment, as one, as one priest is telling the story of, of a family brought their 8-year-old son to him, 
and he had seen pornography and he, the, they wanted him to talk to him and he said to them, he said to the boy, he said, if Jesus walked into the room while you were, saw that pornography, what would he say? And he said, oh, he'd tell me it was wrong. He said, oh, would he? What else would he say? And he'd tell me it was bad for me to look at it. What else would he say? And he just began to just use every word he'd ever heard anyone in his church or his parents describe anything to do with pornography or anything like that. And instead, the guy said, no, Jesus would say, I will always love you. This should never happen to you. I will never abandon you. And he just repeated that. I will always love you. This should never happen to you. I will never abandon you. So as parents, when our children encounter these things, have we thought about what Jesus would say, and will we say that? I'm not saying don't explain to them the harm, don't take action to protect them, don't discipline if need be. That's very loving. But are we ready for that moment to respond as Jesus would? So right before I just pray, let's just walk away with understanding what all of this means. What it means to understand who we are, who God made us, made on purpose for a purpose. If he made us on purpose for a purpose, I can promise you it is not to be addicted to pornography, which means he is invested in your freedom. He is invested. He is very, very interested in helping you find freedom, and he will lead you in the way everlasting. If you want to do more to fight this, I encourage you just, you can uh, connect with us. We need a lot of support, prayer, finances, all those things to, to try to take on a monster that, that's this big. The biggest thing you can do, though, is be free. Every single time you say no, every single time you pursue that no moment, you are stopping the cycle of pornography, the economy of pornography, and you are changing the world for your children. And just remember that he is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. And he has promised to be with us. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. Lord, for the testimony of your grace and your mercy on my life, I just praise you. Lord, help us all to live out our lives understanding what this means to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings the creator of the entire universe. Help us to see everyone around us in that same way and to live that out. And thank you that you are the one who will lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, even if we have never fully followed you before, Lord, that we can pray that prayer, lead us in the way everlasting, Lord, and you will. Thank you. Amen.